Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on a special mini episode of Parental Misguided with Beck and Sarah. Um, as you may have noticed, last week, Beck and I took a break mm-hmm. from um, releasing a recording. We had initially planned to do um, our episode about Groundhog Day, but in light of the events going on around the country, we felt that it was important to elevate Black voices and not crowd the space with something um, that wasn't relevant to the conversations going on in the world right now. So we are going to um, resume our normal programming with, um, with Groundhog Day soon, but we wanted to take a minute and join the conversation uh, and join with uh, our support of Black Lives Matters. Yes. And we want to talk quickly about a film that has been released on, I would say, most platforms for free. Yeah, I, it, it was Apple TV that produced it. Is that correct? Well, it's the film Just Mercy, starring Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan and Brie Larson. It was released in 2019. It uh, was. It was. It's not a new movie, um, comparatively. It, um, it is PG-13. It was released on streaming platforms for free, specifically because of the message and the content of the film. Um, For those Mm -hmm. of you unfamiliar with Just Mercy, it is a true story of a civil rights defense attorney named Brian Stevenson, who, while he was interning um, and attending Harvard Law School, was uh, sent on an errand at the prison to inform a death row inmate that they did not yet have an attorney that they could assign to his case yet, but because they felt he was not in danger of being executed within a year's time, they wanted to assure him that they would put someone on his case as soon as someone became available. And over the course of several hours, his conversation with this death row inmate, who he shared so much in common with, um, who he got to know, Brian Stevenson made the decision that he was going to work in the not-for-profit space, the pro bono space, in a very underserved part of the country, which in this case was Alabama, Mm -hmm. and was going to set up a privately funded practice that would provide um, cost-free legal representation to people people of color, mostly black men, mostly, um, although it wasn't exclusively who were on death row, who were either not provided adequate legal Mm -hmm. representation during their initial trials or who were convicted of a crime with little or no evidence to support the prosecution. Right. Um, so it is a true story. The, it is one um, of many true stories. This is not by any means a uh, uh, a one-off new. story. Yeah. This is um, a prevalent story. I don't know if you... Did you listen to the podcast In the Dark? Because no, I haven't this listened to that one. That almost exactly. It is yeah. Curtis Flowers and uh, how he was... Uh, uh, went to trial 
six times, I believe. And on the seventh, the seventh trial, they got the death penalty. And he's been on death row for 20 years. And goddamn it, that podcast didn't get him off of death row. It brought so much attention to it. It went to the Supreme Court. He uh, was exonerated because there was no evidence. It was the same story of a right. uh, 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 another uh, person who was getting a deal from the police. It is. It was a broad daylight shooting of a bus- right. at a business. It, it was so commonplace. And so mm-hmm. this is not a unique story by any means. This right. is a right. really good story, especially told from the... Uh, uh, the perspective of of Brian, he's such a great character and uh, obviously beyond a great character, somebody amazing in real life to devote yes. their life to this. Yeah, he, he really does. So in light of, uh, in response to um, the murder of George Floyd by the Minneapolis police mm-hmm. uh, and the ensuing police brutality response to yes. peaceful protesters... Um, Warner Brothers released this film to be viewed for free on several streaming platforms. I yes. watched it on iTunes. I know it's also free on Prime. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that there are, uh, I think it's showing for free on HBO Max. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. So this is not a movie that you have to look very far to find. Um, you know, typically we talk about nostalgic mm-hmm. movies from our childhood there we've pretty consistently done comedies what we want to talk about today is the importance of viewing this movie which is not sensational it's no. not overblown it is truly like being in the corner and watching something unfold in real life every moment of this movie was um completely believable nothing seemed like i it was never one moment where i was like oh that's absurd it certainly right. wouldn't be no, that bad. No, it was never. Yeah. Every single moment I was just like, you know what? I feel shock in my body because of mm-hmm. my response to the unfairness, but I'm not shocked that it happened. Right. And it's all based on court trials, you know, tr- mm-hmm. transcripts. It's all based on things that really happened. So um, it is available for streaming on any of those um, platforms that we discussed. Like I said, you don't have to look far to find it. Um it stars Michael B. Jordan as, as the attorney, Brian Stevenson. It was based on um, this, the book of the same name that was written yes. by the attorney, Brian Stevenson. Um, the scenes were filmed in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, there were. There's several really great interviews um, that you can read. Uh, online about uh, when when Michael B. Jordan was first doing press for the movie in like, in, like late 2018 mm-hmm. when he was first doing press, uh, it was a very he had a writer that it had to be an inclusive movie, which means that there need to be as many roles filled by black people mm-hmm. and brown people as white people. There need to be a good distribution of men and women, all of those kind of things. So it was really a thoughtful collaboration. Um, given the the message of the film. Yes. So we're going to step outside a little bit of our um, normal 
um, format. We're not going to talk specifically about time codes and, and things like that. Um, more just kind of letting you know, I, I think all adults should watch this movie. Yeah, I, I know that Netflix right now is shoving the help down everybody's throats. No, don't, don't watch the help. Don't waste your time. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, at, at the time it was, we all cheered. It, no, it tells a it's, story, it tells a story that should be. That's not the story. We don't need a white savior right now to come in and, and save black people. This is... Um, this is a different movie. This is, you know, if you're looking for a different story, a different voice, a different perspective, this is it. Uh, it's, it's also great. I I mean, true crime, let's face it. That's a huge thing right now. If you like true crime, you're going to love this movie. This is, uh, you know, it's a classic courtroom drama. It is, it's with this unique perspective. It's really good. Yes. Yeah, I so our my, right off the top, we just recommend as parents who watch yeah. this movie, um, as you know, adults who are of voting mm-hmm. age watch this movie. Right. Um, so the movie starts with uh, Jamie Fox, who plays Walter McMillan. He is um, self-employed. Mm-hmm. He's a member of a large church community. It's he's 1987, married. is that? Ni- 1987, Yeah, that's correct. Uh, he's married, he has three children. He, for what we know, just seems like a working man. He, yes. He, uh, he's, the movie begins with Walter and his um, co-worker. They're, they're felling a tree. So he's driving home after a day's work. It's now dark. He's pulled over, and there, it's not even he's pulled over. There's a police barricade. Yeah, yeah. So it's nighttime in Alabama, and there's five cop cars barricading the road in front of him. The cops are out, their guns are drawn. The sheriff approaches the car. There's a moment in that, in that very beginning, it's like the first five minutes of the movie, there's a moment when he turns off his car. He turns off his radio. Mm-hmm. He places his hands on the top of the steering wheel and holds still and looks ahead. And I had to remind myself that this was 1987. I know for a fact today, black parents train their black teenagers. Mm-hmm. This exact move. Don't reach for your glove box. Don't reach for the seat. Don't find, don't go for your wallet. Right. Put your hands on the steering Mm -hmm. wheel and wait for them to tell you to get your driver's license, get your registration. Mm -hmm. But it was that it's in the bones reaction. It's the yes, sir. No, sir. Thank you, sir. Like, can, can you tell me why you pulled me over? Can you Mm -hmm. tell me what you need? Can I reach for my driver's license? They say to him, they don't need his driver's license. They, they don't need anything. Where are you coming from? This is an awful nice truck. These rims must have cost you a lot of money. There's a real conversational tone with that edge of menace mm-hmm. from the sheriff the whole time. And then the implication is that he just runs around and does whatever he wants. And we've heard about you. And he calls him Johnny D. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we don't know his name. We don't know the character, or the you know the person's mm-hmm. name. 
there's been little to no conversation right in the movie to this point he's literally at work and then he's pulled over being pulled over Mm -hmm. and so when I was watching the film and John was in and out of the movie with me and I didn't know I didn't read ahead I didn't spoil the movie for myself which is totally my move (laughs) um (laughs) so at this point I don't know is this a mistaken identity are they calling him by a name and it's not him right his reaction is I couldn't tell if it was oh shit they think I'm someone else or oh shit I've been busted Mm -hmm. and I just couldn't tell from Jamie Foxx's reaction except that he looked like there was a tension in his body and, it, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't involved in anything. Well, we come to find out that a young lady was killed. A young white lady mm-hmm. was killed at a dry cleaners in broad daylight. And that they feel they have a credible witness who saw him, saw his truck. There was another witness who says that they saw Walter's truck, who we'll call Johnny D for the mm-hmm. remainder of the, of the uh, information. Um, so they feel like they have all this stuff and that it's like this slam dunk of a case. Right. But Walter insists from the beginning that he did not do this crime. It is a very intense scene. The cops are not only drawn down on him, they're, they're moving closer. Mm. If he makes one wrong move, you know, that, that they could just start to fire. And the sheriff even says to him, I'd be just as happy to take care of this right now once and for all. Yeah. I would just, I would be just as happy if you gave us a reason to just rain bullets into your body while you sit in your truck on your way home from work. So it's very intense and watching it from the beginning, I was sitting there thinking, well, my seven-year-old couldn't couldn't handle this. My 10-year-old probably couldn't handle this. My 13-year-old's old enough. She's old enough to understand police brutality, racial bias, Mm -hmm. all of those things. And I was just sitting there thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, this will give them nightmares. The movie jumps ahead quickly to Michael B. Jordan. It's now two years later. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, he has uh, an encounter with a death row inmate that it. Illuminates his path. Mm-hmm. He knows what he wants to do. He's at Harvard Law School, which for a you know a black kid from Delaware is an accomplishment. It's a big deal. Yes, it's yeah. a big deal. In in 1989, mm-hmm. for a, a young black kid from Delaware, who he says later in the film, he grew up similar to the the community that Johnny D's family lives in, dirt roads and chickens and pigs running around. So he had already accomplished that much. Well, he makes his decision that he's going to take his degree and he's going to go to an underserved area and he's going to provide good quality representation for underserved people. So he, we're, we're introduced to, well, we know his mom doesn't like it. She's afraid she's going to make his funeral arrangements that they're going to kill him down there. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to take to him, you know, educated black man coming down and telling them that they, did shit wrong. But we're introduced to Brie Larson, Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Who's great. And, uh, but I was worried. Gr- I was a little worried at that point. I'm like, oh, why is this? Do we have our white savior here? What's going on? How yeah. is she going to be the one who 
and that wasn't the happen. case. No. She is a supporting. She's a real person. She's a real person. She's a she's a real person. System that was there and uh, yeah, she had been studying sociology. She had a similar experience where she realized uh, over the course of her taking classes that there were people who had just not never gotten a lawyer, never gotten. Right. A chance and so she had made her decision and she found they found each other mm-hmm. somehow he's coming down with some funding he's coming down with um you know a, a, he's not just on his own he's got a mm-hmm. business plan he's got he's got nonprofit funding so the two of them are going to set up a practice and he's going to go to the prison and he's going to talk to the people on death row right off the bat the racism is implicit um, she had made the phone call to rent uh, an office space. And when they found out that it was a black lawyer who was going to be representing criminals on death row, he says, not in yeah. my building. So now they don't have a place to practice. He says, we just need a table and a phone. So he's staying on her couch with her husband and her son. And they're working out of her dining room. And somebody calls in a death threat. They say that they put a bomb under her house. So right off the bat, they're not right. welcome. He, he drives out to the prison. And this infuriated me. When he goes oh. to the prison to speak to yes. the inmates. And they tell him he's not getting in without a strip search. The same guard that we later see have a change of heart, I guess. Yeah. Softening. Um, yeah, because he... He is all on board in the beginning. Hard assed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If I I paused the movie because I was just like, no white lawyer oh, ever would ever be no. told that. But even if they were told it, they would be like, "Fuck right. you," and they would have a list of people mm-hmm. they could call. To, this son of a bitch at the at the intake just told me that I had to have a yeah. strip search. I'm a fucking yeah. lawyer. I'm here to do a job. I'm not a goddamn criminal. I have rights. There would have been. This is your speak to the manager moment. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But there is no manager to speak to. I had had to tell myself he knew it was it would fall on deaf ears. No one is there to support Mm -hmm. him. And his goal is to get in that prison and talk to those inmates, some of whom are running out of time. So he goes through the humiliating process of not only being stripped, but doing a bend and cough. For my more delicate listeners, they check to see if you've stuck something in your anus that you're smuggling into the prison. Yeah. It is Which they never heartbreaking did, to watch. Right? He just he asks for it and then he doesn't do it. And it just yeah. kind of I, it is was dropped. It was all very much to show you what they were. It was a power play. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's heartbreaking to watch Michael B. Jordan feels very young Mm -hmm. in the, in the part. He feels very um, altruistic Mm -hmm. and you, you kind of see the damage that this man, this Brian Stevenson went through and he didn't have to. This is one of those, those people who took on a great deal of self-sacrifice and personal turmoil because he knew that there was right. a greater good. So he gets through that. He speaks to, and then we have sort of a montage of talking head interviews with different people. Um, you know, I saw my 
public defender one time and then I never saw him mm-hmm. again. Um, they told me when they arrested me that if it wasn't me, it sure yeah. looked like me. Uh, uh, I call him Baby Cube. His name is O'Shea Jackson. <laughs> the neighbor he's, is neighbor he's, in jail? The, yes. the younger one on the other side. of um, he's, he's Ice Cube's son, is O'Shea he? Jackson oh Jr. Gosh. He is. Um, I only so he good. played him. He played his father in Straight oh, okay. the um, the movie so about good, yeah. Um, yeah yeah yeah. So uh, I call him Baby Cube, <laughs> but um, O'Shea also plays a, a real person yeah. who had a real case where he was being accused of a double homicide that he was innocent of. He did not commit, mm-hmm. and the arresting officer said, "If it wasn't you, then I guess you're going to take one for your homies." So he was intentionally arrested with no confidence that he'd been the one who committed mm-hmm. the crime. But what the fuck? One, one black guy right. behind bars is right. as good as any, as another. So we already know that Walter didn't commit the crime. Johnny D is innocent. Mm-hmm. Now we know that um, Ray is baby cube, right. is innocent. And then there's an, uh, another really interesting case, uh, a really interesting case person the other featured uh prisoner uh, death row inmate that brian takes on during the course of the film is a is an inmate named herbert richardson herbert has it's very obvious um has Mm -hmm. ptsd from being in the war from being in vietnam he's the sole survivor of an attack yeah, his platoon was was yeah. completely obliterated except yeah. for him. And this this speaks to the poor treatment of veterans, the lack of mm-hmm. mental health um, uh, assistance that that returning soldiers, they're not reacclimated to society after they've been trained to be killing machi- machines, after they've been exposed to what they're exposed to. Herbert comes home from the war broken. Yeah. He has a an, an almost uh, debilitating yeah. stutter. Yeah, it's, uh... he there. His neighbors had reported many incidences of him sort of like blacking out, and he find himself back in Vietnam, and he's talking about incoming, and he's he's obviously ill. He he needs to be in a psychiatric right. institution, but his crime that he is on death row for, he did commit. He did place a bomb in front of a building or a house, but what he didn't intend was for the the young lady walking by to pick it up and investigate it, who was killed by the blast. Great. So it was over the whole situation. Third degree Mm -hmm. homicide at at best. He had no intention except for that when you explode a bomb, that's what bombs are for. Right. It's very clear that he should not be on death row. He should not be in prison. He should be in a mental institution. And that's one of those things where it's not black and white. It's the, it's the problem with capital punishment is that it is a finite Mm -hmm. answer that does nothing to deter crime. It doesn't bring back the victim. And sometimes incarceration isn't the answer. Medical attention is the answer. Rehabilitation is the answer. So he takes on the cases of Johnny D, Herbert Richardson, and uh, mm-hmm. Ray Hinton. These are the featured 
death row inmates that Brian Stevenson worked with, all true cases, all real men. Uh, at the end of the film, you get to see the pictures of them yeah. in real life um, with, with Brian. So he is under a bit of scrutiny um, because for the people, the white people of the town, these are black criminals who committed the crimes that they're being executed for. And for Brian Stevenson to come in, he's trying to get these people released. And in their opinions, they were guilty. So he gets no warm welcome in this Alabama town. His life is in danger. He's driving home from the prison and he gets pulled over. And there's a very intense scene where he is pulled out of his car. He has a gun Mm -hmm. to his head They're rifling through his vehicle. And it is another show Mm -hmm. of what we can Mm -hmm. do. It was a dark, empty highway. That gun comes out so quickly. white cops. So, and he's agitated. And it shows you, we're we're showing you how quickly we could have you killed and gone. The escalation is just through the roof. Mm -hmm. Watch Mm -hmm. your mouth. Watch what you do here. He goes to meet the relatively new... Um, uh, what de- public defense? I'm, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. the uh, the prosecutor. Um, what was his um, name? Uh, oh, it's killing me. I don't even know if Tommy Chapman. Yes, it's Tommy Chapman. It's played by actor Rafe Spall. Um, I don't even know if he's a real person or uh, not. That I'd be but curious he to is see basically, because he is so yeah. Oh. If he didn't base that on a real Yeah, he's person, the prosecutor. His characterization of that guy is so good. Yeah. Just real Ugh. Southern, real racist, but, but like Thinks that he's educated harmless. sugar wouldn't yeah. melt in my mouth. Yeah, like, I don't know what you're saying because this is already done up. Like, he, he brings up the McMillan case and he's like, well, that was a bit yeah. before my time. Like, I don't have any responsibility right. in that area. And... I was telling John while we were watching the film, I felt such a real anxiety as he was looking through these like two year old cases, more, all these transcripts, these poorly mm-hmm. performed uh, investigations. And he's having to like pluck statues yeah. and, and case, you know, all out of thin air. And I'm like the amount of information that you have to retain to be an attorney. It, it is. Yeah. He has to read that that file right. and remember that there's a statute that might apply and he has to remember what the case is, what mm-hmm. book it's in. Overwhelming. And this is 1989. Right. There is no there's internet. No... It's microfiche. If you want to go back and look at old the stuff. The books are not <laughs> online. Oh my God. So I was so overwhelmed. I had to remind okay. myself, you don't have to be a lawyer, Sarah. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to be a right. civil rights attorney. Woo! I had those same thoughts. I'm like, how do, where does the funding come from for this? Oh my gosh. You know, where do you even begin? (laughs) It's okay. You're not involved. You don't have to go out and find this. (laughs) It is that type of anxiety inducing. This was 30 (laughs) years ago, guys. You're fine. (laughs) But you do see that, um, you know, he's finding, uh, little bits of information. He's finding supporting inf- uh, supporting evidence. He's get he's adding people. They find the space. They find the rental space for the office. They were able to add on, you know, mm-hmm. employees, law clerks, uh, secretary, things like that. And he 
get some traction. And he realizes that the case against Johnny D is built on absolutely nothing. And it's being, it was like wrapped up with a bow. A nonsensical story. (laughs) Testimony. Based on the testimony of a white repeat offender who was, we ultimately find out, Mm-hmm. coerced threatened by the by the sheriff played by um just such a remarkable tim blake nelson ralph myers is is the um is yes the, the, the character i say with quotation marks but tim blake nelson plays the part he has such a weird affectation his voice is strange yeah. he's a chatterbox he has um, twitches. You can see that he has burn scars all over, all over his body. And he's basically the only witness. He's the only testimony for the prosecution. I saw him standing mm-hmm. over the dead girl with the gun in his hand. Um, Michael B. Jordan, as Brian Stevenson, goes out to Johnny D's home, meets with his wife, his children, his community. They tell him the entire room full of people, and I'm talking probably 40, 50 people, Say, he couldn't have done it. We know it because we were right. having our church fish fry that day. He was home all day. He was working yeah. on his transmission. His truck was not running. That this person saw him, this person. They find the flyer for the fish fry. All of these people, nobody bothered mm-hmm. to come and talk to them. Nobody took their story. No they were not allowed nothing. to testify. The son has a friend. Yeah, the son has a friend who says, the guy that said he saw John, you know, Johnny D's truck, in the parking lot, he couldn't have mm-hmm. seen him because he was with me. So how could he have been over here three miles away looking at the truck when he was standing next to me and we right. were at work doing something else? That guy gets harassed. He gets he gets picked up and charged with perjury right. for something he hasn't, hasn't even done yet. given yeah, the statement. statement he hasn't yes. even given yet. A trial that hasn't happened yet. The the dirty deeds go so deep in this town. The sheriff is yes, it is the deep. top horrible that even the new prosecutor who just got there he's a good old Mm -hmm. boy team player he finds all of this evidence he finds that there was tape of a first interrogation of of tim blake nelson that he said i don't know what you're talking about i didn't see nothing i didn't do anything they put him on death row for three days in the cell closest to the execution room where he could smell the flesh from the electric mm-hmm. chair. And he had been burned as a child. He'd been in a, in a boiler had exploded and set him on fire as a child, which were all his burn marks. They knew exactly yeah. how to Because they took him both. They took he and Johnny D both to death row. Yeah. They put them both on death row before, before they had been convicted innocent of until proven guilty. But we're going to put you on death row while you're waiting for that trial. Yeah. So we're doing all of this work with Johnny D. It seems very obvious that a new trial should be awarded. Things do not go always as we plan. There's a very mm-hmm. intense moment, a very intense scene, and this will be the the one time that yeah. I suggest. Um when we go back to to Herbert's case, uh Herbert Richardson's case, the the man with PTSD. Um, he's given an execution date 
And all Brian Stevenson can do is try to get a stay of the execution. He's not trying to have his conviction overturned. He's not trying to get him out of prison, but he doesn't deserve to be on death row. And mm-hmm. he wants to get a new case so that they can make, he can make the recommendation for having him institutionalized. Mm-hmm. And his stay is denied. And what follows is something we've seen before in movies. Um, yeah. The Green Mile um, certainly handled it uh, with, with similar mm-hmm. specificity. And Dead Man Walking, I always think of the, the execution exactly. scene there. Yeah. But yeah. The execution scene. I mean, there's a pretty brutal execution scene, uh, electric chair scene in Sin City, mm. Frank Miller's Sin City. But it's the idea of collecting them, walking mm-hmm. them down the row. The prisoners are banging their cups on the rails in solidarity. They shave his head. They shave his eyebrows. They watch you. They make you watch them buckle mm-hmm. every strap. And you start to think about the whole process. Like, this is a real thing. This isn't sensationalized right. for the film. This, this is, is what happened. works. Yeah. They're laying out the folding chairs in the viewing room. These officers have to strap this man in, put the thing on his head, stand there while it's happening. Someone's throwing the switch. The room was standing room only. The viewing room was standing room only. And, you know, um, the attorney, he had, you know, he was with Herbert. He was the last person he got to speak with before the execution and they had the conversation. There's a great scene where, you know, Walter McMillan's basically walking him through a guided Mm -hmm. uh, meditation about calming him down. Yeah. That deep breaths, picturing yourself in a better place. He has is, Mm -hmm. it is pretty triggering panic attack. It is, would be very easy to put yourself into that. It was hard to watch the the breathing yeah. and the you you get that feeling of oh god there's no way out of this and that real panic mm-hmm. you you start to mm-hmm. feel it. it it is so it's yeah. just palpable through the screen it's a tough yeah. tough watch it's a difficult watch and i definitely was emotional about it but this is yeah. real this is what we do yeah. in this country this is this is what we dole out without any real like yeah. standard the there because it differs from state to state and the method of execution differs mm-hmm. from state to state there's no like line drawn where it's like okay well if it's above right. this there's no consistency right. so he accidentally without malice caused the death of a person for something that he he was intentionally it was criminal mischief or destruction of property it led to uh, what i consider to be a third degree murder because it wasn't mm-hmm. passionate and unintentional he he never intended for someone to die and we've decided that this is worthy of right execution and then you have repeat assault offenders mm-hmm. rapists child murderers mm-hmm. pedophiles who get life who mm-hmm. live forever <laughs> In prison. <laughs> That's if they test the rape kit. You might get that yeah. far. So it's it you feel the weight of 
mm-hmm. the imbalance. What he did was tragic and horrible, and he should he shouldn't not be punished. But they're taking his life, and we see it. And I will say for the filmmakers, we see all the way up to, yeah. but they do not show right. the execution. There is a bit so of a jump. we go from the person where you see the reaction yeah. we- of the people watching. Mm-hmm. Yes. The perspective changes. Yeah. The perspective goes from us looking in on the execu- execution room mm-hmm. to us looking in on the viewing room and the people in, um, mm-hmm. in audience. And mostly to see the reaction on Michael B. Jordan's face. And his reaction, you know, is because he didn't do enough. He failed. He couldn't save Herbert Richardson. So that has a deep impact on him. Um, Going forward with Well, yeah, because you start to see that the consequences of... If you don't succeed in this, this is where you're going to be. They're all going to die. They all die. Yeah. They will all die. And I thought it was interesting for the movie, for the one execution that we witnessed, to have been someone who acknowledged Mm -hmm. his crime, acknowledged his part. It was a little bit of a, we can lose this one because he knows Mm -hmm. he did something wrong. And he was broken by Mm -hmm. this war that he fought for this country. And you you tell yourself all these things and then you have Mm -hmm. to stop and say, no, no, this is a real person. This was not, this is not device. This isn't storytelling. This happened. So after that, which is bad, for the balance of the movie, there's some pretty terrible um, retellings of things. There's some just heinous mm-hmm. racism, racist talk. Obviously, this you go into this movie knowing that there's mm-hmm. going to be N-words and all of its associates. Um, the part where the sheriff was in the courtroom Ugh. being able to intimidate Tim um, Nelson. Myers. To, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ralph Myers. What, yeah. Ralph, Ralph Myers, Tim Blake Nelson's character. Um, He's basically staring right at him. Yeah. This is the person who made him feel like he was going to be executed. So I liked when Michael B. Jordan Mm -hmm. stood in between them and broke the line of sight and got where he needed to go. And so you get, you still get the massive disappointment, but that this fucking judge still says that there's no reason for there to be a retrial and it wasn't perjury sentenced him in the beginning and there's a small cut of a scene where they say the judge has made the extraordinary ruling of seeking the death penalty regardless of the fact that the um prosecutor was not going for the death penalty the judge overruled that and decided to seek the death penalty which was yeah unheard of and yeah. so now we're back. And then when they talk about judge again, same judge. And when they talk about, well, we'll take it to the mm-hmm. state Supreme court and then they'll send it back to the same circuit court right. for retrial. Like I asked John, I was like, am I missing right. something? What's the point in opening a retrial yeah. in the same corrupt. And that's where you system. see on, on, in the dark on the podcast in the dark where seven trials. 
Yeah, it's like yeah. you can't keep sending him back to the same fucking racist. And asshole. I want to say the prosecutor is and still the same... saying that he would like to prosecute again, but I believe he has finally handed the case off to somebody else who has decided to drop it. But and that was just this past fall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's going to be definitely some disappointments yeah. and, and he continues and he keeps pursuing and it, God, it looks like it's getting closer and closer to McMillan being given an execution date. Um, and he finally gets it there and he has that really stern talk mm-hmm. with the prosecutor, um, with Chapman. And he says, I'm going to suggest that they dismiss all charges. And I thought it was interesting that when they get to the point where it's mm-hmm. in front of the Supreme State Supreme Court and he's asking for the dismissal that it yes. is now a I know, did you, female the moment judge. she walked into the courtroom where you like finally we're gonna get that. <laughs> well I'll tell you what I said the moment she walked into the courtroom and I was like eh, <laughs> I was like go oh, either way now we've got a mom on this because what I'm telling you everybody <laughs> no I'm t- I will tell you that I will say that for a white yeah. woman in Alabama, are some oh, of the most absolutely. complicit racist white supremacists because they want yeah. to maintain status quo. They want their husbands and their fathers Definitely. and their sons mm-hmm. to be the white men in charge. Mm-hmm. They don't want to change the world. They right. benefit from white supremacy. So when I saw a white female judge... This is a woman who was mm-hmm. able to go to college, was able to go to law school. Something about her, and I didn't do any background information on this real person judge, if that was the case or if this was fictionalized. Something got her, elevated her out of mm-hmm. wife and mother. Beyond working at, you know, right. she does a catering business out of the home. She got to go to to, to well, college. She I got to go to law school. She, she became a judge. She but dismissed the, the charges. But the she says she made, the made this very easy but for me. It's yeah. because the prosecutor. <laughs> yeah, she right. didn't make the decision, but she was the case that it went. She was the judge that proceeded over it. It, it was the decision of the prosecutor yes. to go against the crooked sheriff, and dismiss the charges as well. And we get to see that mm-hmm. the real Walter McMillan, we get to see his homecoming, his return to uh, his community. We get to see in the post um, mm-hmm. the conclusion of the film that um, Ray Hinton, uh, Baby, Baby Ice Cube, um, also took on, um, Anthony Ray Hinton took on Brian Stevenson's mm-hmm. um, legal representation right he was also exonerated of the crime he didn't commit he was also out of jail we got to see a lovely photograph Mm -hmm. of the real herbert richardson it was which did you notice he was the photograph was taken in front of the electric chair that was who took that fucking picture upsetting we got to see the real brian stevenson we got to see his track record if you have an opportunity mm-hmm. to find and to read the book Just Mercy, I imagine it's going to have a lot more information in there than just what yeah, we saw in the Yeah, that's a very film. condensed um, um, story, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot more. Yes, yes. Um, 
so that's that that's the end of the film um it's, it's basically the end of mcmillan's case and the postscript about um arthur ray hinton this film does not have a lot of foul language it does not show any violence except for the violence enacted by the police we do not see a reenactment of the crime for which walter mcmillan is accused no we do not see a crime scene we do not see a body it all happens he's accused of the crime and then the entire movie happens two years post and the in the subsequent time it took to try his case we don't see the brutal murder murder of a white woman we don't see any crime that that um that uh, mm-hmm. any of the men commit. We only hear the stories. So it's not a violent movie except mm-hmm. for the violence from the prison guards, from the sheriff, from the men who pull Brian over um, on that dark highway. There's not a lot of gratuitous language, um, mm-hmm. you know, dirty words. There's the absolutely filth hate speech that you have to expect right. from a film about racial um, issues. This is a movie that is instructional. It is um, sharing a real story of real people and things that actually happen. It's shining a light on the massive um, flaws mm-hmm. in um, the criminal system in the, the, you know, the legal system, capital punishment. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. it's, I think it's time for it to go. I think if we right. cannot do then it a hundred percent right, yeah. we shouldn't yeah. do it at all. Um, the margin of error oh. in capital punishment is so great that if you applied it to any other field, oh my God. if you applied it to aeronautics, if you applied it to food service if you applied it to the hospital system the education system the margin of error of people executed who turned out to be innocent of executing people with mental illnesses of executing people Mm -hmm. who have um disabilities movie after movie after movie what was the one that they made with susan sarandon in louisiana where she was was a nun yeah that was the one right yeah sean penn right yeah um, Although this is he not totally did story. it, he was a horrible, it, it is horrible person in that movie. And uh, but death penalty, yes. you still—that is one. That's a that's a really good one because he did it. It was horrible what he did. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. But then you see that you know mm-hmm. his death yeah. doesn't achieve anything. And and um, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it's one where it it throws in your face of. Here, save this person who has done this horrible thing. It's one thing to save somebody who is innocent. It well, is trying to convince people to save the ones who aren't worth saving. Yeah. Well, the big elephant in the room, the glaring miscalculation at the end of Just Mercy is, mm-hmm. hey, crooked police department. Now still that out there. woman was yes. murdered by someone who's out there. Yeah. Who you know nothing about. Because yeah. you did not even bother to collect evidence. You didn't mm-hmm. bother to get any real statements. You didn't bother. Mm-hmm. They failed that woman and her family. Right. Because they allowed their <clears throat> bias 
mm-hmm. to affect their ability to do their job. And now her yeah. murderer was free. And out. I might have to look and up and see what theories killed there again. are as far as what suspects are yeah. perhaps culpable in this. And Yeah. Yeah. So they did nothing. Uh, this is a mm-hmm. very hot conversation item right now. It is very polarizing. Um, I don't feel at the end of watching this film that there should be right. any gray areas. We are arresting people based on an implicit bias, an institutional bias, a institutional racism. Mm-hmm. They are taking easy ways out. Right. And people are dying. And justice and is not justice being served. Still is not exactly. Being served to the white members of their community. So here on Parental Misguided, we talk about would you allow your kids to see this movie? So we've just told you about intense scenes of police brutality. Um, a, a very plainly stated matter of fact mm-hmm. representation of an electrocution. The intensity of what it feels like to be on death row. The brutality enacted on people in Right. Prison, it's the humanization of whether of... they're guilty or not. Yeah. The racism and the violence perpetrated mm-hmm. on people doing nothing wrong except yeah. doing something that you disagree with. And I said to myself, I felt in the beginning, this movie is scary. It's uncomfortable. These things are brutal. Mm -hmm. My kids would be traumatized. Except this is real. This is happening. Mm -hmm. Walter McMillan has children. Many of of the men on death row have children. Yeah, there's nobody protecting them from their harsh realities. Their children have to know. No one is protecting them. My white children do not need to be protected from this world. It does them no good. So, (laughs) Sarah Wesling, independent of all things in this world, I work for no one. I recommend that you sit down with your children and you watch this movie. Mm -hmm. I recommend that if you have younger children, you skip the part of the execution. Right. But not without telling them what happens. Yeah, I totally agree. Yes. Tell them what happened to Herbert Richardson. No. But they don't need to watch it. Because hopefully by the time my seven-year-old is an adult, yes, we won't have yes. capital punishment anymore. That's my hope. But they should watch the yes. movie. You're, my 13-year-old, uh, your 14-year-old, they need we to watch this movie. We did see it together. Um, it was a harder... I could not get Lola to come in and watch it. It was not... I knew it, going into it, like you said, not going to be their jam. Um, but, uh, we, it's funny. We have been as a family watching the news more, which I've never been, um, somebody who kept Mm -hmm. the TV on, but lately at night we've turned on the TV and we've all sat down together Mm -hmm. and we watched coverage and, and talked about what's going on. And, uh, the first time we did it, Lola was crying because it was making her nervous and she was scared and. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, that kind of scared. That's what some people feel all the time. Yeah. And um, 
All and because it took place where we, you know, used to live, that we we lived in that city, and and you know, knowing that people that I know mm-hmm. had were hearing tear gas canisters being fired, they could hear it from their house where their children are sleeping in the next room, and they could smell the smoke, and they could, you know, hear the sounds of the crowd and stuff. It it's a trauma. Everybody has been through a trauma and you mm-hmm. have to really take your time with this and deal with mm-hmm. it because as we know from experience, trauma that is unresolved leads to terrible things. Mm-hmm. And so the, I think kids are experiencing this as a trauma. I was shocked at how much mm-hmm. Lola knew what was going on before I even turned on the news that she had picked up from social media and TikTok and mm-hmm you know, Instagram and all those things she'd already known. She knew who George Floyd was. Um, she didn't have all the specifics on what had happened. So we cleared up that up, but they're getting this mm-hmm. information and we have to, it's our responsibility yeah. to make sure that we're putting it in context and giving them something and treating this like the trauma mm-hmm. that it is, because this is something they're going to carry. I keep telling my mm-hmm. kids the past past three months you're living history right now this is it your grandkids are going to ask you what was it like when you were in quarantine and then the protest started and yeah you know what was it like and so remember these things all these things because you're going to be talking about this for a very long time very long time yeah yeah i mean shit my mom told Mm -hmm. to tell me exactly where she was when kennedy was shot my mom was a young teacher. The first year she was a teacher, she taught at a school in mm-hmm. Louisiana called Zachary High School. And it was predominantly black kids at Zachary High School in Louisiana mm-hmm. at the time. And my mom was a young, blonde, white woman teacher. And there was a day where something happened. Something happened and yeah. there was either a big fight that turned into a big thing or there was a riot. Something had happened. This was like, you know, mm-hmm. late 60s, early 70s. And she was locked into her classroom by her black students. Yeah. They locked her in her classroom and left the classroom. So no one could get into her where she was. Yeah. And, um, and kept her safe. They kept her safe. And my mother named my little brother, Zachary. Yeah. Uh, she never specifically said that was the reason I find it to be interesting. Um, that, that there's those, two instances in her life as parallels, but, um, yeah, you know, she can remember all those things, you know, John and I, we yeah. had all of our kids pre nine, I mean, post nine 11. And then they start to talk about yes, it in school. What, and so you we tell your story tell that morning mm-hmm. at each time we have a kid where you get to an age yes. where they talk about nine 11 and yeah. more like specific age appropriate terms. Then they come home and yeah. mom, dad, what, what happened when, when you were nine 11, I yeah. vaguely remember what happened when the challenger explosion happened. Cause I was homesick that day and I saw it. So, um, those are those moments, those, mm-hmm. the president's been assassinated. Yeah. A, a fucking I mean, spaceship fell out of the sky. We want our cities are to burning protect them and yeah. to not let, hurtful mm-hmm. things into our world but sometimes mm-hmm. you gotta it's like a vaccination you know you gotta take that little bit of pain 
so that you get that protection from it right. destroying you because we have to address it and we have to talk about it. It's yeah. Well, here's this whole group of black and brown kids that no one yes. can protect them from the world that they live in. And I don't see the value in protecting my white children from what the world is truly like, because I have a lot of liberal yeah. minded, make the world a better place kids. Yeah. And I don't want them going naive and starry eyed into a world that mm -hmm. will destroy their morale. It will take away their, mm -hmm. their drive to make the world a better place yeah. because, Oh, I didn't know it was this bad. You know, my kids don't have to worry that someone's going to right. do a no knock warrant right. on our house and shoot their parents in their bed. Right. They don't have to worry about that. They're but Breonna Taylor's killers yes. are still employed mm -hmm. and unarrested. And that's not something that they have mm. to be worried about. They don't have to worry that if daddy gets pulled over at night on the way home right. because he has a taillight out, <clears throat> that he's not ever coming yeah. home. My kids don't have to think about that. Right. But black and brown kids. And they are treated damned. When we first moved to Houston, we lived with my parents in in the city, and my kids went to a school where they were the only white kids in school. And the, here they are coming from Minnesota, where it was, all right, everybody, let's all sing Kumbaya together, and uh, we're going to walk down the hall, and uh, if anybody mm -hmm. wants to share a feeling. And they get to the school... <laughs> And they can't believe the change. They're not allowed to speak. When they walk down the hall, they have yeah. to walk down the hall with their hands on their shoulders um, and not touch anybody, not uh, go near anybody. And you have to have your hands up on your shoulders, touching your shoulders so that your hands are not out. Um, it is, it mm -hmm. is beyond strict. It is a mini prison. And I, as somebody, I was in the schools yeah. teaching last year uh, for the Girl Scouts and middle school in underserved areas and, and areas that are a majority um, uh, people of color, those schools, I can tell you from experience, are run like prisons. It is shocking. There is yeah. no room for being a child. There is... Uh, no room for any of that. It is, mm -hmm. uh, if you want to talk about the school to prison pipeline, it starts in middle school. And I could see it. And, and mm -hmm. so I, I'm glad that they got that experience of knowing that not everybody is, you know, just because you go to school doesn't mean that you're going to be treated like a kid. You're going to be treated like um, somebody yeah. who is a risk to others. And that you might hurt somebody. And that's the way people yeah. are treated. Yeah. Kenny told us about her junior high where there's an in, on, on campus in school suspension yes. area that is yes. run by a police presence. Yes. It's, they call it school, school jail. jail. Yeah. And how kids go to mm -hmm. school jail. It is prominently marked mm -hmm. on the door on your way to yeah. the band room. You walk by school jail and they know about mm -hmm. the kids that go to school jail and they, they use it. They do like a stick. 
that they hit them with. Any you if oh. you were caught sneaking a snack in class, they threaten you with school jail. First of all, yes. If the yes. kid is hungry, let them eat. There's no accommodation right. for the fact that right. some kids don't get fed until they get to school. None. No accommodation for that None. fact. There's no compassion for that fact. These are growing children. Yeah. They are some of them athletes. If the kid is hungry yeah. and not being disruptive, let them eat. But to punish them yeah. with basically incarceration. Because if the teacher is that bad of a hard yeah. ass, what's the fucking ISS? The 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 oh my the gosh. person running the school jail. So yeah. you take a kid who wanted to eat a bag of chips, you threaten them with school jail, and then they do that enough times, they end up in school jail, and now they're they're getting the hard yeah. ass like they set fire to a trash can yeah. or started a fight. And Kinney mm-hmm. is a good white female athlete student. Right. She's not right. getting threatened with school jail. But she's sitting there going, right. you know, this is unwarranted. What is, the, what is wrong with you? So she sees this person yeah. that is presenting herself to my daughter as an ally, mm-hmm. an educator. <clears throat> you can come talk yes. to me. I want to help yeah. you succeed. Not you, fucker, with the bag of chips. You can rot in hell because you're yes. going to end up in prison anyway. But you, there, come talk to me if you have an issue. There were How definitely can I help two make types this experience of, of teachers that we met in school. One was the has no control, doesn't care what happens. It's so grateful that, you know, me and my, my workmate were there because they didn't have to teach that day and we had to keep them in line. And uh, one school we ended up having to leave mm-hmm. because they were trying to fight us. Um, and we're like, what are you doing? We're here to yeah. have fun. We're here to make crafts, you know, but the teacher had no control. Yeah. It was her first year in that school. She had completely given up, didn't care anymore. And then you've got the other sp- end of that spectrum where it is like, they come in there and they're barreling in at a, you know, Nobody talk. There's no good. And, you know, forget going to the bathroom. Those girls don't get to go to the bathroom. There is no bathroom. And it is like, if yeah. they go to the bathroom, you need to watch them go to the bathroom and make sure that they come back. And you're like, come on. Do we? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it is, there's no gray area. There's no nuance. There's no, um, Hey, you know what? Yeah. We all have bad days every now and then. And it sounds like you're having a bad day. And yeah. then. Yeah. No, no compassion, no margin for error. No. Um, yeah. I mean, we treat them like they're tiny little yeah. adults immediately. And then prepare so them in no way just, to become adults. Um, talk to people about trauma and what it is to get over it and check in. And I, I've heard examples of schools that have that where it's a, hey, what would you say? What, what, what is today? What, what, what is the word of the day? And if it's chaos or if it's sad or, if it, you know, whatever it is. And you go, all right, having mm-hmm. a having a angry day tonight. Yeah. OK, well, let's give you a little space today. Why yeah. don't we? Um, yeah, we're not going to do you don't have to do 
you know, maybe PE today, maybe today's, or maybe you do need to do it. Maybe let's start with yeah. PE and let's see if you can go do something that'll, yeah. yeah, that'll make you feel a little bit better. Get that energy out. Yeah. Well, I mean, my kids yes. old elementary school yeah. only had a nurse on part time. Nothing. Yeah. There's schools with no counselors, no, yeah. no emotional help support. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go too much into it, but BB this year had a kid in her class at the beginning of the school year, first grade, beginning of the school year, there was a child for whom, yeah, mainstream school was not mm-hmm. a fit. There were outbursts, there was violence. Um, oh my gosh. Injured a teacher oh. to the point that she had to go to the emergency room. And it took a very long time for them to finally make the decision that he needed to go to a school Mm -hmm. that was better equipped to deal with his particular set of issues. And BB would come home and tell me the stories. I mean, it started off, he would hurl foul language at the teacher. He threw a metal chair across the room and I am compassionate that this child needs help. Yeah. This child has a problem. I am infuriated at the parents who just kept wanting to push him into that square hole. Yeah. Because keep fucking making it fit. And if my daughter had been injured in the course of one of his outbursts, I would have ruined that school for letting it go on as long as it did. You know what I mean? So... They're not equipped to deal with kids who have mm-hmm. issues that go beyond their capabilities. And the, the mm-hmm. low pay brings in apathetic teachers. We don't have career educators at the same, um, you know, consistency like when my yeah. mom was a teacher. <clears throat> who wanted to be a teacher, who was a teacher her whole life until she retired. She was dedicated Didn't have to, to have the a second children. job. She taught at all different kinds of socioeconomic yeah. levels, different... Uh, didn't have to have a second job, although my father was, you know, the breadwinner. But they're not equipped and they're not qualified. And we've taken away all the support systems that were put in place so that the teachers didn't have to be the ones dealing with those things. You don't want to defund the police. We've been defunding education for years. We've been defunding mental illness support and education and treatment for years Right. Billions of dollars go into making a tactical yeah. army when what we need is prepared we to turn against the citizens. Serious psychological help in this society for suffering mental health epidemic. Yes, it is a crisis. It is a crisis. And yeah. Everybody can't even agree on the best way to treat it, but there are really good, there's so much evidence out there that there is a way to fix this there is a way i bet if we allowed the people yes. who dedicated their lives to the yes. treatment of these illnesses to be the if ones you had an addiction and informing the decisions really being made i bet we could was see about and how to deal with people with addiction and, or i don't even want to say addiction but uh with uh substance um dependency um you would find the world Dependency. a different mm-hmm. place if you had safe 
injection sites, if you had places where they could go and help have trained medical people help with their dosing of whatever substance it is that Mm -hmm. they need to get them better, you would have Mm -hmm. people not dying. You would have Mm -hmm. so much. And yes, to get the money to do this and just the idea of people not committing crimes to get the money to get the drugs. They have a substance problem when we all have a problem. We all have some coping mechanism. That we is unhealthy. We all, whether it's something stupid, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you have to have a mm-hmm. Coke every day or you have to have a bag of chips to make you feel better. Yes. Or you need to buy <laughs> something to fill that empty pit Sugar. That is inside yeah. you. Uh, we're all trying to fill those pits and we all mm-hmm. pick different things. And uh, yeah, until we figure out as a society why we have this empty pit and what we need to do to how can we fill it in? We're never gonna. It, we're not. The police aren't gonna fix it. Yeah, N- not with tanks. That's <laughs> not gonna happen. No. And chemical warfare. No. Ah. And chemical warfare. Yes. All right. So. Thanks for hanging in with us on this one. It's a difficult conversation. It's a difficult movie yes. to watch. The We're watching the movie to watch. Um, Amplify Black this Voices. Week, this weekend in our house. Um, That's going to be our next one where we're going to do the documentary where we yeah. explore that. Yeah. How did we get to this situation from slavery to now? How was it? Mm-hmm. It, it was built in a way to mm-hmm. get us to this point. Right. Purposefully to get us to this point where black people are being Held down. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're going to watch that one. Right. I saw something the other day that was reformed. Exactly. um, Exactly. Slavery wasn't abolished. It was reformed. Yeah. So take some time. Go to Color of Change. Go to the ACLU. Go to the NAACP. Um, There's ways to help. There's ways to support. You know, not everybody. We're still having a (laughs) pandemic, guys. I don't know if you didn't hear this. Uh, Houston, Houston's in like the this top isn't a second wave. This is still the first wave for, for viral <laughs> cases. It's still out there. Yeah. So we're not telling yeah. everybody they need to take to the streets. Um, go to change.org. There's a number of petitions that you can sign and share. A really cool thing about change.org. If you sign the petition and, um, and then you opt to share it, they mm-hmm. give you a link to use on your social media. And when you and when you share it and someone signs the petition oh, based amazing. on your sharing, you get a notification that you've made a difference, that you've that you've pushed it forward. So I get an email every time someone oh, okay. signs the petition through my link. I can see when someone else. So go to change.org. Yeah. There's about a dozen including petitions the right now arresting that need your um, attention and your support. Including that one. Yeah. Yeah, Breonna Taylor's a hot one right now. Oh, but back you beyond. May, listen, this guys, goes back to, this goes back to Ferguson, Civil War. back beyond, uh, <laughs> um, to forever. So I will, when I post this episode, I will um, include uh, a, a list of links that you can use to support, educate. Yes. Um, don't be afraid to listen, to be... Yes. To have your your blind spots pointed out and to make a change. It, to paraphrase Maya Angelou, 
mm-hmm. y- you know, you keep doing better until you, until you do it right. Like yes. you keep showing up, accepting criticism. Yes. Change yourself. We're all racist in some way because we were all raised mm-hmm. in we're the society woke. of we're white supremacy that up. teaches us how because things are. Re- so even I, though myself, I've been asleep on this uh, yeah. for a long time and uh, completely um, mm-hmm. complicit in ways that I, I had no idea until I took a deep look inside of myself mm-hmm. and, and looked beyond mm-hmm. the, yeah, but I, you know, I, I don't treat black people any differently, but no, I, I have implicit things that I have inside me that I was, uh, you know, not even taught by my parents, but mm-hmm. taught by society, you know? So it is, it's a, it's a deep thing and you yeah. got to dig deep and do the work and be better. Yes. Just listen. There's a, there's a variety of podcasts you can listen to right now. Um, people that you can follow on social media, um, uh, links to talks that you can listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a time to listen. There are, there are great, um, opportunities mm-hmm. where we're given, uh, homework to be an ally. And here's the other thing. This is another thing I, that I, read recently right, that really resonated right. with me. I don't get to decide that I'm an ally. Black yes. and brown people can tell me how I can be an ally. Um, my help yeah. is based on my experience, how I help. Yeah. I can say that I am a first generation non-racist because the generational racism mm-hmm. in my family mm-hmm was curtailed at my parents and I was raised right. in a household Same. where we did not say those words, where we did not, um, have those opinions, mm-hmm. but the, the racism that my mother was raised under the fear that it created. I can remember a time when I was going to stay, to have a sleepover at a friend's house mm-hmm. who, um, is, a uh, Mexican Indian. She's, she's, um, she's part Mexican. Yeah. Her mother was white, but i when I say Mexican Indian native indigenous people in, in Mexico, in, in that part of the world, um, Mesotiso. So she was a friend of mine who was, um, one of my Brown friends and the apartment mm-hmm. that they lived in and the part of town that they lived in was not the good part of town. It was not a, it didn't look like a great safe pillar of security. And I'm ready to hop out of the car and go run inside and have a sleepover with my friend that Mm -hmm. I loved. And my mom sat in the car and said, I don't know. I don't think I want to let you out because her fear was that this was a place where violence happened. This was a place where I could not be protected. I was not safe. But the reality is, is that my friend's mother had to protect her daughter there every day of her life. And she was going to do whatever she could to protect me there. And I said Mm -hmm. to my mother, who was not racist, but still had this generational racism Mm -hmm. informing her decisions. Am I only allowed to be friends with rich people? Am I only allowed to be friends with the kids who have the the fortune of living in the neighborhoods you consider safe? 
you know, meanwhile, I lived in a, in a lake community where I lived on the um, east side and then there was a west side. On the west side of the lake, oh my God. there was a kid who yeah. got her head blown off because her brother was playing with their family's no. guns. So there was no safety right. in my wealthy mm-hmm. suburban neighborhood. I couldn't be protected from anything in particular over there. But I, to my mother's credit, she, and as a parent now, I understand, she absorbed her fear. She rationalized what I said and allowed me to go to my friend's house. Mm-hmm. I was safe and protected. I obviously survived the night. It's a friend of mine to this day. And years later, when we were the summer between our junior and senior year in high school, um, that friend became pregnant. And shortly after they were announcing the pregnancy, her black boyfriend was picked up and killed and his body was dropped. He never lived to see his son's birth. That son is now in his 20s. He is tall and strong and handsome. And he's, you know, he's making his way in the world. If I had not stayed friends with Mm. her, I would not have been there to support her through her pregnancy. I got to hold her son when he was a week old. Um, I get to see him grow up. I remember Derek. She and her boyfriend, before she became pregnant with with the baby, um, she wanted to go to, like, homecoming. I lent her one of my dresses. Yeah. So I still have a picture of her and this boy who was killed um, in my, in one of my dresses and they look so beautiful and it's this great little moment in time for them. But you know, that yes. fear and that generational yes. racism could have, my mom could have put her foot down. Right. Right. She could have said, absolutely not. Teresa can come and stay at our house, but this isn't going to happen here. And yes. um, that's what we have to, that's what we have to examine in our lives. So, um, you know, like I said, this is a difficult conversation. Not everybody's going to agree with us. But we do thank you so much for being with us during this uh, difficult conversation. And we hope that you keep having conversations. This has been Parental Misguided, and we'll see you next time.